Welcome everybody to the Shop Notes podcast. This is episode 14. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today I'm joined by assistant editor, Logan Whitmer and project designer, John Doyle. And today's episode, we're gonna talk about setting up drawer joint bits in the router table, what's on our workbench, and what does it mean for woodworkers to be naturally socially distant? <laughs> so with that, we'll get started on today's episode. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com. So I think joined is a loose term because yeah. we are obviously all sitting in our own shops or <laughs> yes. own homes. Yes, I think we are all at least 15 miles apart from each other. I think that's safe right. uh, social distancing there. So Yeah, I think that's solid. So, yeah, so let's talk about the elephant in the room, huh? Okay. <laughs> is oh, this in the middle? You have an elephant? No, I have a dog, though. She's, like, sitting here in my lap almost. But, no, obviously we are all uh, working from home, so that's interesting. That's fun. That's a change of pace for us, huh? Yep. Well, yeah, because usually for the magazine, you know, the three of us anyway are within 15, 20 feet of each other. So we're constantly interacting and, you know, or when we're on the video studio set, we're right there. And it's, I I don't know, it's been a lot more challenging to like manage all the little chat windows and messaging and emails that go back and forth compared to, you know, just sticking my head out of the office and like talking to you guys. Yeah. You have to type everything that you're going to say instead of just saying, Hey, what's going on? Or so, yeah, it's, it's been a challenge, but. Or in my case, I say less because I don't want to type it because I talk a lot anyway. <laughs> so I just don't type it. Uh, but you know what? I think what we're going to get at the end of this uh, is a lot of people, not only at Woodsmith, but across the U S that realize, I think working from home, doesn't have the sexy appeal that we all thought it did right. <laughs> yeah. it's kind of it's not, not very fun especially when all of your kids are home from school also yeah right. the miniature <laughs> co-workers yeah and they're yeah. all fighting and on top of you and so but yeah and they want to use the internet and the computer and you know play the tv which is in the same room as your new office and all that kind of stuff so yeah you know, I will say that when we first got the idea of doing the work from home, I was thinking, sweet, I'm going to get a lot more shop time. Nope. Not happening. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like it went from Monday to Thursday real quick this week. Yeah. Like, what yeah. happened? Even more yeah. so than usual. So, But I think a lot of that's just catching up to, uh, to figuring all this out and, and whatnot. So hopefully we settle in here and get it figured out and get in a groove and hopefully this passes and we're all back at work and doing the normal thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I will say I've obviously I am for those of you guys that are watching sitting in my shop right now, ignore how messy it is. Uh, so inherently I hate, I mean, by sitting in here, I'm having more shop time. Uh, but I've, you know, it is nice to get up, stretch, walk around the shop, pick up and put a couple things away at a time. 
play with the tool I found that I forgot I had, you know? Right. So it's, it, yeah, it's a, uh, I think once we get through this issue, which we're wrapping up in the next week or two, uh, I think we'll, I think maybe everybody will get a little bit more shop time into more of a routine because it sounds like we will be doing this for the next, what, four weeks or so? Seems like it, yeah. So, you know, is what it is. Yeah. So, with that said, what are you guys working on? Well, kind of like what you talked about, I am currently digging my garage shop out of toys and bikes and <laughs> and, and getting into full production mode. And, and, and it is kind of nice to, to pull, like you said, pull out the tools and kind of get organized and, and, and get back in my own shop and, and whatnot. But it, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle because we're, we're kind of spoiled at work that we kind of have everything there. And, and, uh, as far as materials and tools and not always searching for things, but you know, it, it makes me appreciate, you know, what our readers and viewers have that they're working out of their shops and kind of the same struggles that they're going through. So I think it's a good thing to, good learning experience here. Yeah. Logan, what, you got two things going on back there, right? I have a bunch of things going on. Um, <laughs> so right behind me, this guy right here, uh, that's the base of the poker table. I think I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think when Andrew was there with us, maybe. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, I had a friend's wife contact me, asked me to build a poker table for him for his birthday. So this is the short section of the base. The, uh, the long section's right outside that door laying on my carpet because my bench is covered in um, finishing supplies right now uh, because I had a, uh, a shelf that we built on the show last season. I feel like it was last season. Um, two seasons all the, ago, I think. Two seasons? Maybe. Whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, uh, we built that Alder Roll shelf, and I had extra parts from it. So I slapped those together and put some stain on it and uh, decided I was going to use that for all my molding planes. So during my shop cleanup this last uh couple days, you know, here and there when I decided I need to get up out of this crappy chair for five minutes, um, I discovered I have a lot of molding planes. So I started going through them <laughs> and decided I need to find a home for them. So it thought that would be a good use of it. Um, so I got the, the park table, the shelf's done. I just, before this uh, podcast, I put all my molding planes on it. It looks pretty good. Um, and I put together my new saw. Uh, this week and I filmed that which was kind of fun uh, filming it in my own shop so I will try to get that maybe edited you know this weekend and hopefully by the time this podcast goes out that video will be up on our YouTube channel so that'll be fun so can't wait interesting putting together a table saw in my basement by myself mm -hmm. trying to stand it up so yep <laughs> those those uh, saw, saw stops are pretty easy to put together though aren't they they have oh they are yeah, yeah, and that was one thing I, I mentioned during the video when I was shooting it. Uh, all the hardware is color-coordinated, so it's like, hey, look in the blue section. You'll see item number four. It's, you know, 16-millimeter bolts. These need to go here. It's like, I can have my five-year-old down here assembling this for me. This has been great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's got really nice. So, good. So what's the nature of your molding plane collection? Is it a display set, or do you actually use them? Um, there are many, they are definitely not display pieces. Um, they are all what I would consider user grade. That doesn't mean they're all in user shape. So sure. I would say out of, oh, looking at it, I probably have 20, 25 over there. Um, probably about mm, a third of them have been used and tuned up. 
So there's about a third of them that are uh, usable, and those are all mainly hollows and rounds. Uh, oh, okay. I hate complex molders. I mean, they're they're gorgeous to look at, and I have a couple that I think are in almost like tip top shape that I could probably use them how they sit. Uh, right. But they're very very finicky that I found. Oh yeah. Uh, generally, they get used. Um, I think when they were new, they got used quite often uh, and fairly hard. So when somebody went to sharpen them, they kind of took a shortcut and just honed the back, and it oh. changed the profile. Now the profiles all don't match. Um, I have one of my complex molders uh, is beautiful shape, absolutely beautiful shape, but it has a curve to the body. Um, it oh. almost looks like it was designed. Intentional. Yeah, but it's not. It's definitely a curve. It's like, this would work really well if I had to cut like a nine foot radius circle of right. molding, but never will. So, yeah. Cause I have a beading plane that I have that works okay, but I usually get some tear out on it. And I'm not sure if it means that the, uh, that the profile is a little wacky on it or if it. Does it have boxing in it? Yeah, it does. It's a lot of the times the boxing will move. I'm gonna let me grab one of those quick. Okay. We'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is fun being in my own shop, but I can just jump up and grab stuff. Um, so here is uh, a set of hollows and rounds, um, and those are two of my users. Uh, so it's a little dark sitting up against this wall, but you know, you can see the 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 hollow down there is uh, I've cleaned up. It's pretty clean looking yeah the the round was pretty good uh, this is one of the the beads uh and what i've found with the side beads is the boxing likes to move on them and oh, i really yeah and i think most of the time that boxing was held in with hide glue oh, okay. um, so you could replace it um some of them i think i don't know if they're friction fit or if just the the hide glue's dried up enough that they just pop out um but everybody that i've ever seen um restore and use these side beads um a lot of times they'll put new boxing in them which that's a pain in the butt um not something i've ever tried uh, but it would be interesting to give it a go yeah oh pretty cool this one's from glasgow england or uh glasgow scotland, scotland. scotland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what you got going on phil well i'm been working on my uh nightstand for my yeah. daughter and that one's coming along pretty well uh Although I've noticed that because of some recent shop changes, I've had to really rethink how I do stuff in there. So, was it the shop change getting rid of the table saw? Yes. <laughs> I did get rid of the my table saw, and it wasn't for any kind of political anti table saw thing. It was just more of I needed more space in my workshop, and. The table saw was the one tool that I felt like could go. However, as a side negative to that, I also lost my router table. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it was built so, in. So that was because that was built into the, one of the wings on the saw, and there's been a couple of things in there where I thought, you know, this would be really so much easier if I had a router table, but I don't yet. I haven't replaced that with another option, but then. You know, on a on a nightstand, I'm working with solid wood pieces that are not huge, but not small either. So it's trying to come up with ways to 
uh, size those parts? Like, how do you size case sides that are, you know, 16 by 24 or something like that? So it just altered the way that I was doing things. And I came up with something that I think worked out pretty well and gives me a chance to do some more hand skills. Because one of the things that I wanted to do this year as a goal was to uh, do jointing, using a jointer plane a lot more effectively. And that's, you know, sizing parts. You need long, straight edges. So, so it's been forcing me to do that as well. But otherwise, it's coming along pretty well, uh, doing all the joinery with a handheld router, which I usually do. But Yeah. So yeah. When, when you go to replace your router table, are you going to go with a full-size router table, you think? Or are you thinking you're going to go with something smaller, like one of our benchtop ones we've done? Um, I'm probably going to do something more benchtop sized, though I'm not mm -hmm. sure how I'm going to do that, whether I put it on some kind of a cart or a stand. Because sure. I think I think if I try and put it on my workbench, that's going to make it too tall. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But, but again, I don't want to have like a humongous router table, and then I'm back into the same place I was with the table saws, not having a lot of space. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I was getting at. It was, it's like if you do that, then you end up with the same footprint that the table saw was. Right, and yeah. I have to tell you that I am really loving having the extra space oh, in sure, the yeah. shop. So even though it's forcing me to learn some new techniques or approaches for sizing pieces and things like that, uh, it's far outshadowed by the fact that I have so much more workshop space. So Yeah. Well, okay, so this begs the question, do you need a shopsmith? <laughs> yeah, I think you and do. And <laughs> the answer is no. I want a bandsaw wing extension router table. Ooh. See, I've thought about that. The only thing is trying to figure out how I would work that with uh, blade changes. Oh, yeah. You know, because you need that slot for the. Yeah. To be able to make blade changes kind of easily. Um, it's like where with magnets to the rescue <laughs> right except my uh my bandsaw table is aluminium so oh, okay yeah that doesn't work you're gonna have to get aluminum magnets <laughs> right <laughs> they're even so, more rare right <laughs> <laughs> so i do have some parts left over from when we did that uh little palm router router table with the little mm -hmm. fold-out wings on it yeah that's so, what i was thinking so I might make that one also. So I might go from having a table saw with a built-in router table to no table saw, no router table, to back to two router tables. Okay. So we'll have okay. to see yeah. see how that goes. Fair enough. What's your no, uh, think... cart, cart situation like in your shop? You have like a lot of carts? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny part is, is, you know, I'm working on a a cart project for this next issue of the magazine and it's a super cool one and it just has made me think of all the fun carts that we've done yeah in all the different configurations and it's like it'd be really nice to have a cart in my shop and then i'm thinking where would i put that right i, I hear john that's, has that's what i'm wondering one. yeah i'm looking around my shop and i got I have four or five carts in here right now. I have a cartopoly. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm wondering, yeah, where do I put them all? So, 
I yeah. thought you were you just going to harvest the casters off of them. And I they did, all gonna and disappear. then uh, I went out this morning and actually bought casters for one of them because it's just been sitting uh, a box oh. up on a, on a stand. It's like, oh, I'll put some casters on it and find a home for it. So That's, That's like an existential philosophical question. What do you call a cart with no casters? Right. Table. A box. A box. <laughs> That's funny. So... Okay. Yes. Go ahead. I say so for you know it, talking about projects. I said I, I finished this uh, this wall cabinet. That brings me to one of the things I want to talk about today is what do you do if you hate something? Like as soon as you do it, give it because, away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get as far away from yourself as possible. It goes to the Christmas pile. Because so I I had this wall shelf right. And everything in my shop is uh, basically gunstock. It's uh, I think it's gunstock. It's candlelight. I think it's candlelight. Uh, I'm looking on my shelf right now because not all my stains sit, are sitting right up here. Uh, the the one wall workshop that I'm currently sitting at uh, was built in. Is that shop notes, Phil? Do you remember? Or was that a Woodsmith one? Uh, so, shop notes. Was a shop notes. Um, and then I have a the Tambrador cabinet that I finished, uh, and I finished that with the same stain. I'm like, oh, great, this is going to look really good if I put the same stain on it. I couldn't find it. No. And I, I knew I had some, or, or at one point I had some, and I thought maybe I used it all. Uh, so I was like, you know what? It's a shop thing. I don't really care. So I'm going to use this little can of Minwax Red Oak Stain. Right. I put the first drop hit that surface that alder and i'm like this sucks i hate this. <laughs> terrible so it apparently you do care i well yeah. yeah and that's kind of what i decided i was like i actually care about this and now that i have a clear finish on it it's not awful i can live with it the real kick in the old shorts was i went to find my shellac to put a clear finish on it after the the stain dried the first can I find is the one I needed to match. It was the candlelight gel stain that I wanted. <laughs> I'm like, how could I not find this thing? I mean, if, if I would have dropped, knocked anything out of my shelf, it would have been that can of stain. It couldn't have been any more front and center. I just somehow could not find it when it was right in front of me. So but can you just go over the top of it and do it? or I thought about that, but at this point, I don't care that much, and I'm over it. But what do you guys do if you if you do something like that and you hate it immediately? I mean, do you honestly get rid of it? Do you live with it, or what do you do? Uh, I think a lot of the stuff that I've done like that, I've given away just so I don't have to look at it anymore. Okay. But Yeah. So... And it's one of those things where it, it ends up being something that's not that huge difference to anybody else. Like right. the craftsmanship is still there. It's still a solid finish. Yep. You know, it's just for whatever reason, I've not, and it doesn't have to be the finish either. It can be something else, you know, just design wise or material yeah. choice or whatever. And when yeah. I've done that, I usually give it away. And the people who get it are pretty thankful to get it oh for sure yeah very appreciative of having something and yeah yeah but yeah i i really hate the idea and i know some people have of you know burning it or taking it apart <laughs> or whatever but i can't bring myself to do that yeah yeah because like you said usually if you give it away they really appreciate it. they don't know that there's something wrong with it that bugs you they you know they love it and and they 
they can find a use for it. So there's no point of destroying it, but sure. You know. Well, and there's there's some things where it's like not that big a deal and you can fix it, right? So if you do something like design wise, you know, it's like, hey, I cut the leg for this table and after I stood it up, I just don't like it. Okay, great, you make another leg. But the finish is one thing that once you put it on there, yeah, it's, it's kind of permanent. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my initial thought was, okay, maybe I'll just throw a coat of milk paint on it, right? Sure. It'll be fine. It's for my molding planes anyways. It kind of ties everything together. Uh, but then I'm like, I only have one other thing in my shop that's painted. So that would look goofy. Again, little nuance. It doesn't matter one beat on if this thing matches the rest of my shop or not. Uh, right. So it just was one of those things. It's like, huh. I don't think I've ever applied a finish to something and hated it that much. Yeah. So. I had a, a small side table that we did as part of a, I think it was a vendor demonstration with Craig Tool shortly after I started at the magazine. And it was red oak, had turned legs on it, and we were using pocket holes to basically put the whole base assembly together and then attach the top. And I thought, you know, it would look kind of cool being oak if I got a red oak stain. And I found one at whatever big box store I was at because we had some other stuff that was oakish that mm -hmm. I thought would, you know, like, how can you mess this up? And it's red oak stain, and I was using red oak, so it should be yeah. perfect, right? No, nope. as soon as I put it on, it was the exact same thing. It was, it just looked like this loud poorly yeah. color corrected photo of meat red yeah. and <laughs> well see and that's what i was expecting with this red oak stain was it to be a little red uh but it's it looks more like walnut and i'm wondering if i didn't reuse the can for something i don't know <laughs> because i'm like this is not red oak color at all <laughs> i mean the picture on the can it looks like it would match perfect uh but you know it's one of those things do as we say, not as we do. Do a test piece, because if I would have done a test piece, I would have been like, yeah, that's stupid, and I'm not doing that. Uh, right. But, you know, whatever. So I think it also speaks to the thing of, like, whenever I notice I mess up or something bad happens in the process of building something, it's like, what do you do? Do you just kind of take a moment, center yourself, like walk away for a little bit? For me, it's like panic sets in, and I immediately want to fix it, and yeah. then I end up doing something even dumber. Yeah, which, I mean, I get, um, but I guess I've always shifted into a mentality of if something goes wrong, like uh, this leg right behind me, uh, this, I mean, this is thick. This is like five and three-quarter inches thick, um, so it's glued up with three layers. So I, I shaped my, my innermost leg, then I started gluing on the outermost layers, and I was flush trimming them to it. Right. And what happens right in the middle of flush trimming one of the legs? Big old chunk flies out of there. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know what? Nothing I can do about it at this point, so just yep. keep going. Uh, so I, I guess I've tried to shift into that mentality. of If something happens like that uh, during a project, I just keep going, and I just think about it. Eventually something, something happens where it's like, okay, this is how I'm going to fix it. You know, but right. if I just continue my work, take a breath, figure it out, you know, I try to, I try not to go into a panic at least. Right. So, yeah, I've done many projects like that too, where it's like, 
you're supposed to do a mirror image of something. And you make two rights or two lefts and then <laughs> start over or put a rabbit in the wrong place. And I was like, okay, well, now there's going to be a walnut inlay on the edge here or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, yeah, it's always a it's a constant battle to, to figure out how to fix those mistakes because that's just a common thing in woodworking that it doesn't always go the way you plan. So, yeah. Well, we've all heard the you know a good woodworker just knows how to hide the mistakes you know we have all heard that adage it's it's true to some extent so yeah but yeah now we did have a reader question or a viewer question come in about using these uh drawer lock bits for routers so he wants to make a set of drawers with the drawer lock bit and his question concerns sizing the parts for the drawer. Now, the drawer front and back are pretty easy because you're just sizing it to fit the opening with a reveal. His question is, how do you determine the lengths of the drawer sides in accounting for the joinery? I was told there's going to be no math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's a... the the. Cynical part of me says the side length doesn't matter as long as the drawer closes, right? Right. So, I mean, in my mind, I guess, assuming that they're going to go on drawer slides that are going to limit where the drawer starts and stops, doesn't matter. Yeah, because you can definitely make sure that you're for sure making it too short and then make stops that will make the drawer flush at the front. Exactly. And that's how I would tackle it. Um, You know, with a... Is that a locking rabbit? Is that what that was called? Like, yeah, that. What yeah. are they called? The lock, uh, drawer lock bit is usually yeah. what they're referred to. It cuts a joint similar to like what we show in the magazine. Yep, with a locking. for a locking rabbit. Yeah, which in that case, you know, if using the locking rabbit mentality, the lock joint on front and back goes halfway into the front and back piece. Which if right. you're using three quarter inch material on the front and back, you know, you just have to take into account three quarters of an inch is not within the joint. So uh, in your depth, take away three quarters of an inch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking too, because when you set the these bits, the kind of the default working height is three eighths of an inch. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, you're you're essentially removing like half the material. What, whatever the thickness of the front and back minus three eighths of an inch each. Yeah, so three quarters of an inch in three quarter. Or, yeah, so three quarters of an inch stock. If that's what you're using for your front and back, yeah, three quarters of an inch. You're removing half the stock. Yeah, so that should give you get you at least in the ballpark. But like you said, I would usually size the drawer so that it doesn't bottom out. For sure. All yeah. the way, and then use some sort of a stop that will keep it flush. Yeah, I can't think of an instance where I've ever built a drawer that was exactly the depth of the opening. Just because I want that little bit of cushion room in the yeah. back. You know, it's, it's much easier to, to glue in a hardwood stop to stop yeah. the drawer from going in. Or um, rubber bumpers, or, you know, I've even right. used screws into the back of the drawer uh, to... You know, then you make an adjustable stop that you can twist the screw in and out to adjust right. the reveal, um, or not the reveal, but the the projection of the drawer. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, on on that note, though, we did have a guy. Um, he emailed in, 
last week, two weeks ago. Uh, anyways, it was an email. Let's see if I can pull it up real quick. Uh, we were talking about drawers and when do you decide to do you know something fancy like dovetails or when do you say, you know what, screw it, this is just a shot project, locking rabbit for it. Uh, and he emailed out or emailed back to us said, you know, hey, I love the podcast, but man, I was just yelling at my radio or whatever he's listening to us on uh, that he's like, grab your biscuit joiner. And oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know what? That's actually a great way to slap some drawers together. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, that'd be a super fast way to get a pretty strong drawer. It's basically a butt joint with a biscuit in it. So. You I know you John has a. You don't dovetail all your shot project I, drawers. I don't or... dovetail all my shot projects. Nope. Uh, either a lock rabbit or a rabbit with screws. Yeah. Usually how I roll. I've done several shop drawers where I used pocket screws. Yeah. No shame. And then I did. Uh, so I did it so that on the drawer back, the pocket screws were on the back face of it. Yep. And then the, on the drawer fronts, the pocket screws were on the front, and then I applied a false front over the top of it, and you just never know that it's there. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So just to wrap things up today, I think I we have a reader comment or a viewer comment from Steve Kendall of Longview, Washington. He says, hey, guys, regarding podcast episode seven, just wanted to say I'm really starting to like your podcast. Since I listen via your website, there's no specific comment section, so he wants to figure out a way for us to comment. And he says, as for tools and the evolution as a woodworker, I found that as a whole, I do have tools that I use less frequently, like my standalone mortising machine. I actually use all my tools. That list is typical, jointer, planer, bandsaw, table saw, routers, including a table-mounted unit, and my horizontal drum sander. Oh, and that mortiser. And as for style, well, quite honestly, I make a lot of stuff that comes from your magazine. I just bought the wood for the bride's chest, but I'm using cherry, not glued to the formal craftsman style using white oak. Having said that, I do my do design my own, including a mid-century tamper door cabinet that was made of oak. My home is trimmed in oak. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. First, I thought it would be weird listening to people talk about woodworking rather than watching it. But somehow it works. Keep them coming. Cool. All right. I think the next thing we're going to do is step back in time and go to like a woodworking radio show. You know? <laughs> and instead of building stuff, we just have to make sounds, which would be yeah, great. Yeah, right. We have all this B roll. Yep. So Everything turns out on. right. Yeah. What do you know? Perfect again. <laughs> all right. Well, that takes care of today's episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, feel free to do so. You can contact us at woodsmith.com. Once again, if you enjoy listening to the Shop Notes podcast, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening at. We'd love to hear your comments there, and also it helps us get our podcast in front of more woodworkers just like you. Also, if you want to see the recordings, the video recordings of the podcast, you can check them out on our YouTube channel at Woodsmith Shop at YouTube. And otherwise, we'll see you again next week for another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years, from tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects. You can find it all in Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.